Okay, let's turn to the scriptures. Uh, you'll probably know this off by heart, so you may not need to. But this morning we'll be looking at the ninth commandment. One more to go before we finish our series. And um, I've titled my message, The Truth and Nothing But the Truth. And the text goes like this in verse 16 of Exodus chapter 20. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbour. That's commandment number Nine. We've had a great time, or I have anyway, in this series, and um, I trust God will impress some more truth on your hearts this morning. So we're going to be looking at the ninth commandment, and as we will see, it is all to do with how we use our tongues. And though this ninth commandment has the idea of a, a courtroom setting, bearing fault with witness or giving evidence, etc., um, this command is more comprehensive in its application in that it deals with all that we say wherever and whenever about others. You see, the power of the tongue is graphically illustrated in other places of scripture and likened to a spark that can begive a devastating inferno. And here in South Australia, we're not foreign to that concept and that reality. We know too well, and only in recent years, how it only takes a spark to get a bushfire going. And very soon, the destructive inferno and devours and wrecks everything in its path, right? We've seen that with our own eyes. And so it's not insignificant or it's not without significance that James in his epistle uses the imagery of a wildfire to describe our tongues. This is what he says in James chapter 3 verses 5 to 6. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. And so keeping this imagery on a human level, we know this to be true, right? We really do. False words can wreck a person's life, can wreck a person's reputation. False words can destroy a person's credibility. They can breed dissension and mistrust in a whole community. Somewhere in your past, you have probably felt the heat of such words. Maybe had your confidence destroyed by someone's false negative comment. Or, or maybe you have suffered because of some vicious, untrue rumour. Or perhaps have been even hurt when verbally abused with a host of horrible labels. The old saying, you know, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names can never hurt me, is just not true. They cut deep and can leave scars that never really truly heal. But another aspect of this command is that it has not been given for our own individual piety alone. 
although that is vitally unnecessary. This command is given because God wants us to be concerned about the the well-being of a whole community, whether it be a church or whether it be your family or whether it be a wider community. That's what he's concerned about here. And and he wants us to realise that untruthfulness is harmful to others oftentimes more than to ourselves. That's what he wants us to understand. But on the flip side of the coin, as you know, words can be good too, right? Words can be so good. How delightful it is to have your confidence boosted by an encouraging word from time to time. I experienced that many times and I'm so grateful to the Lord for it. Or how strengthening it can be when maybe you're at your lowest ebb over some issue of life or whatever it might be and someone speaks to you words that just lift you up just at the right time. Words can be so strengthening, right? Folks, God has a mission for our mouths a mission for our tongues and it's all to do with communicating not what is false but only what is true and good and honourable and edifying to others. Paul reminded the Ephesian church of that in chapter 4 verse 29 of that letter that he wrote to them and he says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to its hearers. You see, words carry a great deal of power in that they both can build up and that they also can tear down. So let us heed the warning that even Jesus himself gives in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. This is what he says about words. But I say to you that every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. That's a severe warning about the words that proceed from our mouths. And so of all the commands that we have seen so far, and actually even right to the 10th commandment, of all the commands... This ninth command addresses what we say most directly of all. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbour. And so this morning we're going to continue with our, our style of approach that we have looked at the command so far. We'll look at the prohibition of this command and then we will focus on the positive implied prescription of this command like we have been doing. And so firstly, we're going to have a look at the prohibition of this command. This is the way of introducing this um, down through the, through the ages and I thought, well, you know, how, how can I approach this uh, logically and, so, and easily in a way that could be understood? Uh, we know down through the ages there have been denominations that have written creeds and catechisms and affirmations of faith, etc. And some of them have been good, some of them have been not so good, etc. And one you'll probably know so well is the Westminster Catechism of Faith and you might even know about the Baptism, Baptist con, um, uh, Confession of Faith. And, um, but there's, a, there's one that was written by the German Reformed Church back in 1563. It's called the Heidelberg, Heidelberg Catechism. It's a very good statement, actually. I encourage you to read it. 
it was divided, how they did this, it was divided into 52 small teaching blocks and each teaching block was read out on Sundays mainly to encourage the new believers and the young believers in their congregations. Most of this catechism is very good and well worth our attention, but I really value its succinct definition on the ninth commandment, which was read out on the 43rd Sunday in the year. So in all the German Reformed churches during that period, on the 43rd Sunday, this was read out. And this is what it says. God's will is that I never give false testimony against anyone or twist anyone's words, nor gossip or slander, nor join in condemning anyone without a hearing or without a just cause. Rather, in court and in everywhere else, I should avoid lying and deceit of every kind. These are the devices of the devil himself and, would call, and, and they would call down on me God's intense anger. I should love truth, speak it candidly, and openly acknowledge it, and I should do what I can to guard and advance my neighbour's good name. End quote. Now that's a very good explanation and an application of this ninth command. I could probably just walk away and just leave it there and you'd have a nice meat uh, on it. And so, and, and also I might say both from a negative and a positive perspective like we're going to look at this morning. And so what I want to do is use the components of this Heidelberg Catechism to see what this command prohibits. And so the first one is never give false evidence. Lying or giving false evidence can be summed up like this deliberately presenting a false statement as being true. As you know, telling lies or lying is an old age, age old thing and, uh, and that sin first hit the world scene in the Garden of Eden, right? That was when Satan opposed the veracity of God's truth by saying to Eve, saying to Eve, you shall not surely die. That's if you eat this forbidden fruit. And ever since then, the Bible has made it very clear that any form of lying is nothing but bad, bad to the core, and is straight from the nature of Satan himself. Jesus said to the unbelieving Jews of his day, he actually said to teach on this, and he said to the, to the Jews in John chapter 8, and verse 44, this is what he said, to them, you are of the father the devil and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. There he is speaking of the devil. And he was addressing the Jews and the religious Jews of his day who were not believing in him. In other words... Lying is bad because it is in direct opposition to the way of life in God's kingdom as it is the way of life in the devil's kingdom. Lying is a trademark, can we say, a trademark 
of Satan and, and he loves to use it to bring about as much damage as he can. And I might say he's very good at it. Very, very good at it. Folks, when we use this tool of Satan, when we lie, it was once well said, we are dining with the devil. But as well, we are turning away from God and opening our arms to embrace Satan himself. That's what we're doing when we lie. Make no mistake, every time you or I choose to lie rather than be truthful, we are following Satan and not the Lord and that's a serious indictment. It's something that I certainly don't want to be in. Lying is also bad in that it destroys a healthy community. The central reason for so many dysfunctional marriages, dysfunctional families, dysfunctional churches and even dysfunctional governments is that lies are somewhere weaved into the fabric of that existence, of that entity. Lies destroy what? They destroy trust. And if you cannot trust people, you cannot have a healthy community or you cannot have a healthy relationship. Truth and truthfulness must be the bedrock of which everything in a relationship is built upon, in marriage, in the family, in church, and dare I say, even amongst a God-honouring government. Lies are also bad because lying is inconsistent with biblical Christianity. The scripture records that the very foundation of Christianity is built upon truth. And we know this, right? We know this. Uh, it's, a, it's a simple no-brainer. Jesus, he, he's the rock of our salvation. He's our chief cornerstone. He's our Lord, our Saviour. And, and the one who says, I am the way and the truth and the life and no man comes unto the Father by me. So we know that, that the bedrock, the foundation of Christianity is based on truth. The truth of God himself, God who cannot lie, who sent his son and the one who said, I am the truth. Jesus spent so much of his ministry dealing with those who put the devil's lies against the truth of his redemptive role on earth and especially truth regarding his identity, regarding who he was and is. He spent much of his ministry dealing with that. Nothing has changed, right? The role of our Lord Jesus and his divine identity, they're questioned and they are mocked, they're misconstrued by the masses. And sad to say, these lies are making inroads into the church where truth about Christ and, and his being and and his disciples is not considered foundational truth anymore. But more than that, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called not only to stand for the truth of the gospel and believe in the truth of the gospel, we're not only called to do that, but we're called to be living examples of what that truth looks like amongst the world of liars. That's what we're called to do. This means we must never be associated with lying in any shape or form. The church is called to be what? It's called to be a pillar of truth in the community. 
And so this church needs to be known as the place where the truth is taught, the truth is held, the truth is practiced. How does it do that? It does that by you as individuals who are part of this church live out truth in your everyday working lives, in your homes, in your marriages, in your workplace. We have that in 1 Timothy 3.15. There are many forms of lying and sad to say they easily find their way into our lives, don't they? Things like flattery is just a classy word of for telling lies. Flattery is lying and saying something to a person's face that we would never say behind their backs. And usually flattery is given in an attempt to gain something from that individual. Flattery is lying, folks. What about exaggeration? This is an easy lie to tell, isn't it? I know that, personally. We stretch the facts to make things look a whole lot worse or a whole lot better, whichever way we want it to go. Those of us who are fishermen, who has never told an exaggerated story about the big one that got away? We love to exaggerate, but folks, really when it comes down to it, exaggeration is lying. It's giving false evidence. Another aspect of breaking this command is what we do with what others say. This is a serious one. Not that the others are not serious, but it's, it's serious in that it implicates others usually super negatively. We twist. Sorry, I've got there. We twist what others say. And this comes to the second part of the Heidelberg Catechism list. Never twist what others say. Never twist what others say. And this would probably be the most frequent form of bearing false witness. Our hearts are so deceitful in that we can give the information about someone or something that fails to truthfully represent the whole truth of the matter or the person under discussion. We call that a false dichotomy. We can call it building a straw man or whatever. But that's what happens. We fail to truthfully represent the whole matter or the person. In other words, we bear false witness when we misrepresent someone. This is rampant in political circles, especially around election time. But it also can come into our own lives in the life of the church. One of the basic rules, and I'll just share with you here, one of the basic rules in any productive counselling is that you make certain you have done all you can to get all the facts. Because when you gauge a person's dilemma with only a bare minimum of fact, you can easily gain a distorted view of the whole situation. I know this so well, and I'm sure you know it so well too, in theory and maybe even in practice. And so what happens is you end up falsely representing a person because you did not know or go to the trouble or wait and use time to get all the facts before you summed up the situation and verbally represented it to someone else. Hence there is a lot of truth in the adage 
there's always two sides to a story. Now that's in a counselling situation. But what about in other matters? What about in your marriages? Your homes? Your workplace? Your boss? Do we twist what others say? To our advantage? Because that's what we believe matters most. I want to get my point across. Or whatever. We really need to be truthful with ourselves here, right? It's so easy to push our own agenda by twisting words and ideas in order to push through our own personal wants. This last week I heard about a pastor who was called to his first pastorate. Not in this country, so you won't know him. And yet there were, there were some in, in the church where he was being called to, they were wanting their pound of flesh, only a small minority. They vilified this young man and his prior church, and they did it proudly on the basis of what someone else had told them, and that's all. How terrible is that? How terrible is that? They gave false witness against the church and a brother in the Lord by twisting words without knowing the true facts. Peter here has a friend on Facebook I follow with a smile on my dial often who is an expert on twisting words, especially Peter's words, all in order to push his own liberal views across. There are many ways we can be guilty guilty of this, right? Only speaking about the negative side of a person and perhaps remaining hush on the positive side or vice versa, is twisting the truth. This should not be so among us, right? Our next point is never gossip or slander others. The Bible condemns those who gossip, slander or tell tales. Do you know that? Most of us can recognise gossip if we want to. You see, any time we pass on or initiate a rumour, an innuendo or a fact that hasn't been verified, we gossip. Any time we fail to correct faulty information, we are a party to slander. Any time we turn the spotlight on someone else's failure... We violate the law of love, which is doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. People love to gossip. And folks, as you know, gossip is always a sin. Gossip never fixes anything. Do you know that? Gossip never fixes anything. All it does is stir up a pot that satisfies our selfish egos being the ones who bore the news first, especially when it's the latest scoop on some dirt that we've heard on someone. There is an old saying, loose lips sink ships. Folks, how many churches and homes and workplace relationships, etc., etc., have been wrecked because of gossiping and foolish talking. Too many. 
Notice what the word of God has to say about the trouble gossip can cause. You can turn here if you want, Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 20 to 28. So it's eight verses. It's a, nice, uh, uh, it's a good section on gossip. And um, so it's Proverbs 26 and verses 20 to 28. This is what it says, Proverbs 26 and verse 20. Without wood a fire goes out, without gossip a quarrel dies down. As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome person for kindling strife. The works of gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the innermost parts. Like a coating of silver dross on earthenware are fervent lips with an evil heart. Enemies disguise themselves with their lips, but in their hearts they harbour deceit. Though their speech is charming, do not believe them for seven abominations fill their hearts. Their malice may be concealed by deception, but their wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it. If someone rolls a stone, it will roll back on them. A a lying tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Pretty serious principles and weighty principles to do with lying and especially gossiping. Apostle Paul also feared, you remember some time back, right at the end of 2 Corinthians, he was going to pay the church a visit after everything had supposedly calmed down and, and there'd been repentance. But he still feared that he would find gossips in the Corinthian church when he visited them. You have that in 2 Corinthians 12.20. Paul's description of a man in his total depravity in Romans 1, right smack in the middle of all those heinous sins, is that of gossip. We'll go to another one. Never condemn without the facts. We've already touched on this a little bit. But from time to time... We are called on to to make up our minds or discern uh, a person's actions as to whether they were right or wrong. And we do this all the time, right? We hear it on the news, we hear something, you can't block ears to everything. And um, uh, we will either make up our minds whether it was right or wrong. But there's a danger in this. And let me illustrate, you parents will know of something similar to this. Little Johnny comes in screaming his lungs out, accusing his little sister of biting her, of biting him. Now, as a parent, you will be foolish to be sucked in by dear Johnny's tear-stained face and his innocent look blue eyes without checking the bite mark first, right? You'd be foolish to do that. In other words, we would never jump to conclusions, never assume without checking all the facts. Folks, the real bad part in all this, if we are honest, we are so quick to assume the worst about someone. You know that? We are quick to condemn the slow driver ahead of us only to find out that he's on his L's or she's on her L's. We're quick to condemn on the basis of media reports only to find and discover that it was a media cover-up of their own illegal operations in the first place. 
We are quick to condemn those who are arrested by the law only to find out that they are then proven innocent. Folks, when we practice any of these methods of bearing false witness in regard to another, we are guilty of sin before the Lord. Paul to the Ephesian church, this is what he said in chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each to one. Sorry, I'll start again. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbour, for we are members of one another. If we are guilty of using our tongues to harm one another, we need to repent of that sin and get it right with God. It's a serious offence. Rather than quickly jumping to the worst case scenario, we would be better to consider all the other scenarios that could also be true. Jonathan Edwards calls this the judgment of charity. That's what he called it. In other words, if all is not clear, don't judge or jump to to condemning conclusions. Give the person the benefit of the doubt until all is clear. We don't often do that, do we? We often do, we either say or we hear and then we jump to conclusion without checking the facts. Now I'll have a look at the implied prescriptions of this command. And I'm sure we've all been challenged in regard to what it is to bear false witness and I don't think any of us here would say that we are guiltless and innocent of any of them. But have a look at the implied prescriptions. This is short and simple really. It's simply this. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. We're called to be truth tellers. Never liars in any shape or form. This is what Jesus meant when he said that Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Our words should mean exactly what we say. The truth and nothing but the truth is what our lives and mouths should be characterised by. We should be men and women of truth. Not only in spiritual matters and where our head is up in the clouds, but men and women of truth in everyday life. And what we say and the things we do and how we go about it. Men and women of truth. We need to get the facts. Finding out the truth takes work, but sadly many of us just can't be bothered so we are happy with what we hear, dirt and all. Consequently, we can too easily pass on lies and innuendos. Quick conclusions are often wrong conclusions. Then we can focus on the positive. You know, we have a choice in this matter. No matter how big or, or small the situation or whatever we may be thinking of at this time, we have a choice. We can draw attention to a person's faults or we can draw attention to their strengths. We can highlight what a, person is, what a person is doing right or we can highlight what they have been doing is wrong. 
You see, if we immediately look for the positive in the situation, you know what? We will have less problems with gossip and slander than if we spotlight the negative. That's the plain truth of the matter. If we just pull up and just hear the situation and think about the person or the persons or the situation and focus on the good and the truth in the matter, what that will cause us to do is to pull up before we jump to conclusions. It will help us to weigh up the situation more accurately and honestly. Give others the same grace that you would like to receive. When we make mistakes and suffer the consequences, in most cases there is a yearning. In most cases there is a yearning to rectify and to put right the damage that we have caused. I would say that would be true, right? You know what it's like when we sin, we offend someone, you feel horrible and, and um, hey, look, you, 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 you want to put it right? Sometimes you say, oh, if I could only just relive that moment, I would do things different. Well, you can't. And so we, we long to have the wrong righted. We want to dearly be, for, be given another opportunity where we can prove that our integrity is safe and that we are trustworthy. We want to be like that, even after we've made a mistake. Can I suggest that how you would like to be treated and spoken of in such situations is the way that you need to speak and treat others who also make mistakes? Because, folks, a person's reputation is at stake and because they are made in the image of God and especially if they're created anew in Jesus Christ, if they're a brother or a sister in the Lord, we should go all out to vigorously protect them. You got that? May it never be that we go vigorously and even indifferently tear them down. So that means when we hear gossip, we'll confront it, right? Confront it when you hear it tearing up another person's reputation. This does not mean, by the way, it does not mean that we, we hide and cover up the sin of believers. No way. But it does mean that we should consider the whole truth, consider it deeply before bringing it out into the open if it needs be. Because some sin does need to be brought out into the open and the person needs to be confronted with it, and sometimes the community needs to be confronted with it. Many lives have been destroyed because people talked about others behind their backs and condemned them instead of praying for them. Instead of praying for them. You hear that? Instead of praying for them and letting God work out in his time and his way, what he wills, but we're so quick to jump in and speak behind their backs. And as usual, God has a word to say on this matter as well. Proverbs 11, verse 13, this is what it says. He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy conceals a matter. Proverbs 17 and 9, he who conceals a transgression seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. Well, this is very real. This is very relevant. 
1 Peter 4.8 Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. What I want to do now is leave you with an acrostic. An acrostic that will hopefully help you when it comes to speaking out or to refrain from speaking out. I borrowed this, certainly not mine. I hope it helps me, as I know it already has. I hope it helps you in obeying this ninth command that you shall not bear false witness against your neighbour. This acrostic uses the letters T-H-I-N-K, the word think. In other words, we should think before we speak. We need to ask ourselves before we speak, T, is it true? H, will it help? I, is it inspiring? N, is it necessary? And K, is it kind? And can I suggest, if you come up with a negative of any one of those questions, I would suggest you need to close your mouths and say nothing because if you do, it'll be a sin. It'll be a case of you bearing false witness. Now, folks, if any here are guilty, and I'm sure we all are in some degree or other, of sin in this area before the Lord, you need to repent. You need to be reconciled in your fellowship with God and if necessary your brother or sister or friend or whoever it might be you need to repent and get this right or if you maybe are someone who who is hurting uh, still from a, a cutting tongue of another from whenever come to the Lord Come to the Lord Jesus Christ because he alone can heal you of this hurt and the scar that is marring your life. Come to him for cleansing and hurt from a spiteful tongue. May we all know what it is to only use our tongues for the edification of others and ultimately for the glory of God. Trust God with a blessing to his word. Shall we pray? Our gracious God, we've come to this ninth commandment that you have given us, that you have given your primarily to the Israelites of old, those you have redeemed. But Lord, we can transpose this because this command is repeated and referred to right through Scripture. We have been also redeemed. We are your people. And so this is the kind of conduct that you expect from your redeemed. This is what it means to live in your grace and your mercy and in the light of it. We're to be truth tellers and truth livers. Well, Father, help us from loose lips. Help us to engage our minds before we speak. Help us to deliberate matters before we cast any dispersion upon any other. Forgive us, Father, for anything that we may have done in this regard and just cause our hearts to be filled up with 
are wanting to worship and live for you that we might speak well of others only words of grace and words of edification. Help us to be those who can do confront false words and to be strong enough and to do that and may our words be with grace seasoned with salt. So Lord, help us, we pray. We thank you for the Lord Jesus who was full of grace and truth. May he be our model to follow. And so, Father, we just give you thanks. Take us to our homes in safety. May this week be one where we are encouraged in the Lord and be those who practice being truth bearers. So, Father, we give thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.